We are in Joshua chapter 11, and uh, so we're going to pick up where we, we left off the last time we, we, we had spoken in Joshua chapter 11, and let me just summarize again uh, where they are geographically. So they, have, uh, they, they were down here in the wilderness for 40 years, came up on the, on the east side of the Jordan River, conquered this side with... Uh, um, so, so they, they conquered this side, and, and Moses, with Moses' help, Moses was alive at that time. And then Moses died. They crossed the, the Jordan here, right by Jericho. They conquered Jericho, the first city that's, that's uh, um, Jericho. And then they set up camp at Gilgal. And then they came in and they, they attacked this whole area, then moved across and... and, and uh, uh, hit parts of Gaza, and then they did the northern campaign where they came up and attacked um, right up at that lake up there. Not, not this one. This is the, the, the Sea of Galilee, that, that one just above it. And they attacked up there. And so they got a large swath of this territory. But what we're going to see is the Bible is going to say, that it's going to talk about how they got, they got all the territory in this chapter, but this chapter is looking forward. There are still several territories that they didn't get. So the territory that they didn't get early on is, is, is all of this along the coast here, the coast of the Mediterranean, further up here, Tyre, Sidon, that area. And interestingly, we, we're going to learn that, that the actual land that was given was from the Euphrates River, which is current-day Iraq, all the way to the River of Egypt, to the, the, uh, the Nile River. And we know that, that Israel is not going to get that land until the Messianic kingdom is established. Uh, but but uh, uh, that's the same territory where Israel is today, much of what they're, they're capturing in this chapter. Right now, to the, to the east, to the east of the, the Jordan River here, this is all the, the, the nation of Jordan. So if you, if you go to Israel today and you go to the Jordan River, you can... You can, uh, uh, you can stick your foot in the Jordan, but you can't go across the Jordan because it's, a, it's another country. And so there, there are Jordanian soldiers standing there with guns, so, so nobody crosses without going through the proper checkpoints. Okay, so let's, let's start reading in, uh, in, verse, in verse 16 of Joshua chapter 11, verse 16. It says, Thus Joshua took all that land, the hill country and the Negev, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, the Arabah, the hill country of Israel, and the lowland from Mount Halak that rises toward Seir, even as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon at the foot of Mount Hermon. And he captured all their kings and struck them down and put them to death. Joshua waged war a long time with these kings. Actually, the entire war was seven years. So we look at it, we think it happens quite rapidly, but Joshua was warring for about seven years. Joshua was in his mid-80s at this time. Then it says, There was not a city which made peace with the sons of Israel, except the Hivites living in Gibeon. They took them all in battle. And we had read about the Hivites, how the Hivites had uh, made a peace agreement with them, but actually deceptively made a peace agreement with them. <clears throat> it says in, in uh, verse 20, For the, it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, to meet Israel in battle, in order that he might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
Now, we've looked at this several times, but again, this is uh, particularly in our culture where, where, where we haven't seen war near our homeland. We haven't seen drafts occurring of people going off to war. People understood these sort of things much better shortly after World War II. They understood uh, uh, complete devastations that would occur. But it's interesting, this passage says, For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts to meet Israel in battle. And so we, we, might, we, we might rightly ask, why would the Lord harden their hearts? Why didn't He soften their hearts? Why did He harden their hearts? And, and so we want to go back and just look at this again so that we understand what was the Lord doing, what, what the Lord was doing. So in, in, uh, in, in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, it, it actually starts talking about this thing. And in Genesis chapter, chapter 15, um, turn to, to Genesis chapter 15, and reading from, from verse 16, it says, Then the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So, he had just made a promise to, to Abram, to Ab- and he said, I'm gonna, you're going to live in this land, your descendants are going to be taken to Egypt for 400 years, and then they're going to come back in, and they're going to take this land, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. That means from the time that, that God spoke to Ab- Abram, saying that, you know, I'm just waiting with these people, it was 600 years later nearly 600 years later, before they're coming into that land. So again, God has waited 600 years waiting for them to repent of their sins. They were offering up children, their, their own children in the fire. And so when He was bringing in these children of Israel, we think, why, why was God so hard on these people? Well, He waited 600 years. So you think you're patient? Remember, how many of you ever have ever waited 600 years for any, anything? You know, maybe after six minutes we'd say, Enough! Right? 600 years God waited. And in fact, He had probably been waiting before that. It was, that's just when He told Abram that, I've been wait, that, that, that uh, He marked the time that still their iniquity is not yet complete. So in other words, they were doing iniquity from even before that time. But I want to extend this into what this might mean today. And so let, let's look at the, at, at the book of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Because this idea of God hardening a heart. You know, I've, I've heard it said that when, when we grow old, that, it, that whatever we are when we're young, we just become more of. So in other words, if we're kind of grumpy when we're young, we become really grumpy when we're old. If we're kind of happy when we're young, we become even happier when we're old. I don't know if that's true, but I will say that there is some truth in that sort of thinking. That, that you see, it says God strengthened their heart. God hardened their heart, some, some, some texts say. Other texts say God strengthened their heart. In other words, these Ammonites that lived in this land, they were hard, cruel people. And God gave them over to being even more cruel. In other words, if we are kind and gracious, God fills us with kindness and graciousness. If we are hard, He fills us with more hardness. Look in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, 
For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. So whatever we dish out, we get back. I've, I've seen where a woman was very hard and very mean. And as her kids grew up, they didn't want to be around her. She would complain, my kids never want to be around me. And I'm like, duh. I mean, I wonder why that is. And, and uh, so when you deal with things, you get back that which you've dealt out. This is exactly what it says. It says, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So in other words, if we sow to our own flesh, if it's constantly all about me, it is about me, it is about my comfort, everything is about me, I will never be happy. And the Scriptures tell us about this, but the world itself, as we observe the world, you'd think that movie stars would be the happiest people because they make a ton of money, everybody thinks they're great, everybody applauds when they, when they go by, they're like, oh... There's Kim Kardashian. Whoa. And, and, uh, and so, so you'd think that they'd be the happiest people. But we know just by looking at their lives, their marriages don't last very long at all generally. And there's a lot of pain in that. Why is that? Because when we sow to our flesh, the Bible tells us right here, your flesh will reap corruption. But when you sow into the spirit, into the spiritual realm... From the Spirit, you're going to get eternal life. Let us not lose heart, he then says in verse 9, in doing good. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Look what he says. Don't, grow, don't lose heart in doing good. You want to know the secret? You do good and many good things will come to you. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. He calls us to do good works. In Titus, it says in chapter 2, verse 11, it says He has called us to be zealous for good works. Every other religion, you do good works to get saved. In Christianity, you get saved to do good works. He saves us, then He says, go go out and do good works. He says, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. He says, when you do good to people, you will get. You talk about this idea of God hardening their heart. It is turning their own hearts right back to them. That's how you want your heart to be? You want your heart to be like that? Fine. I will give you, I will strengthen that. I will give you your own heart back and you live with it. That's what he's doing. That's the the context of going out into this land and wiping them out. Remember, Israel only did this in this section. All their other conquests, they were never to wipe out all the, all the people. Never. It was just the fighting men that they were to kill. The rest that they could enslave or they could let them free. They could do with them as, as they felt they, that they wanted to do. Now let's look in, in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And we're going we're gonna to look at uh, uh, verse 37. Luke 6, 37. Remember what we had just read? Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. He says, do not judge, Luke six thirty-seven. do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. 
pardon and you will be pardoned. Isn't that interesting? He says, whatever you do, if you pardon, you're going to be pardoned. If you judge, you're going to be judged. That's what it says. You go ahead, you try this. Start judging all sorts of... I don't know why that person's always doing that. You will see before long, people will start judging you. And you'll be, Why is everybody judging me? Well, you're just reaping what you've sown. You sow judgment, you're going to get judgment back. Your own heart, our own hearts are turned back to us. Our own hearts are strengthened in this. The very same idea is here in the New Testament. If you condemn other people, you yourself will be condemned. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. They will pour out into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Exactly how we dish it out will be given back to us. So, so I, I'll give you an example in my own wife. She is a very generous woman. She's always giving things away to people. Always giving things away. And I just, she buys all this food. And then I open the refrigerator, there's no food. Where's all the food? It wasn't for us. Oh, okay. And, and I know I just better back off. This is her gift. This is what she does. And so what happens is, wherever she goes, people are good to her. They give her things. I mean, she gets so many gifts, so many shawls, so many things, so many nice stuff. And, the, and it just gets showered upon her. And I'm looking at her like, nobody ever gives anything to me. <laughs> and and, and they, they give her all these gifts. And then what happens, it says, they will pour into your lap, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So you get this picture that she's sitting there and there's so many gifts she can't hold on to them anymore. And this is exactly what happens. Whatever she drops, I pick up. <laughs> and it's mine. So I just walk behind her and I pick up all the gifts that she can't contain. Her life is so blessed because she's done so much for other people and they bless her in return. Now, I have seen a little bit of this. I have. I mean, just, just last night. So, so uh, um, I was having trouble with one of my eyes and, and uh, um, there was a student who used to be in this class and, and uh, um, he got his PhD at Rice, he got his MD from Baylor and he went off and he became a, a, an, an eye surgeon. And so I called him on, on uh, I, I went to his house on Friday and he wasn't home so I called him, he was out of town. He says, okay, I'll have one of my fellows check you out. And so here I was Friday night in a doctor's office because this guy just had one of the people who works for him check me out. And then he says, okay, let's meet on Saturday when I get back. So last night I'm in his office. It's just he and I in this huge eye clinic. And he does the examination. And he did laser surgery on my right eye last night. Just last night. Just like that. And as he's doing the laser surgery, and I feel so much better now. But there are these sort of blessings. And I go home and I think, you know, this would have been such a pain. You've got to go to a doctor. They examine you. You go back. You set up time for surgery. You go back and deal with insurance. And I just know the guy. And he just does it in the evening for me. This is the type of blessing I'm talking about. He says, by your standard of measure, it's going to be measured to you. And my wife has fed him and his family many times. Many times. But... but we, we get many things back. When my kids were growing up, we had had so many students go through this class that have become physicians. So many times we would just call them and they came to our home. 
and they would, they would do, do house calls, and they'd be looking in my kids' ears and prescribing things and taking care of them. And my daughter lives in Israel. Anything, times something comes up with her kids, she calls one of my former students from Israel, and they tell her what needs to be done. And so, this is what I'm talking about. He says, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. What you give out from your heart, you will get this back. Many times over. So, in other words, if you give out judgment from your heart, you judge people just a little bit, you're going to get a lot back. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. You plant one kernel of corn, you get, get 10,000 kernels back. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. He says... You judge, and you'll be judged. You know, I was, I was trying to get on the highway, and this guy just sped up and just didn't let me get in. And I, and I thought, and I looked at him as he went by, and I thought, you must have a very hard life. Because he doesn't give anybody, just even a nanometer, to get in. And so, so, so what his life must be like, the hardness that must be coming upon his life, I actually felt bad for the guy. I did. Because, because I was looking at him, what his life must be like. He says, if, if, you, if you judge, you're going to be judged. If you condemn, you're going to be condemned. If you pardon, you'll be pardoned. So in other words, if you are quick to forgive people, if you are quick to pardon people who may have done something against you, you will be quick to be forgiven by a thousand people. I mean, whatever we do, it's the principle of sowing and reaping. It's the whole idea that he just said of the Amorites. He says, I'm turning their own hearts back to them. They were cruel and hard, and this is exactly what they're going to get back. Now, God is patient. God is patient. He waited at least 600 years, but now He's turning it back to them. Their own hardness of heart was turned back to them. And so you see the same principle in the New Testament. Turn to James, the epistle of James, chapter 2. James chapter 2, and we're going to read verse, verse uh, 12. James chapter 2, verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. So in other words, he says, this is how you're going to be judged. You're going to be judged by the law of liberty. What do you mean the law of liberty? Oh, read the next verse. Verse 13. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment will be merciless to him who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I mean, this is powerful. If we show no mercy, somebody does something, oh, you did this to me, I'll never forgive you. When I hear people say, I'll never forgive, I'm like, I just want to get back because there's lightning about to strike them. Because I don't even want to be around them. You know, collateral damage that occurs when, when someone gets stricken by lightning. For judgment will be merciless to, to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Triumphs over judgment. Do you see why he calls us to forgive? Because he knows that if we do not forgive, if we do not forgive, our lives are going to be very hard. There is going to be mercilessness toward us if we don't learn to forgive. You say, well, you don't know what that person did to me. I don't. But I know what I've done to a lot of other people. I've hurt a lot of other people. And in our lives, 
God gives our own hearts back to us. It's the same principle. The same principle that was hitting the Amorites in Joshua chapter 11 is the same principle that that hits us today in the New, New Testament over and over again. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to be reading, starting reading at verse 40. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man's in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. So remember how we had read in Galatians, do good to all men, but especially to the household of faith. Here this is stressing the same thing. Jesus said, whoever receives you, receives me. He who receives me, receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. So very often, when there are people who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel. So remember a few weeks ago, we had Peter Williams from Tyndall House. Heard that he was going to be at the church. He said, please come to our house for lunch. Why would we do that? Well, we want to bless the man. Well, why do we want to bless the man? Well, because we just want to bless him. But look what it says. If you receive a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, in other words, you're acknowledging that he is special. He is special to the Lord the way he has given of himself, the bullets that he has taken for standing for the faith. He says, if you receive a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, you shall receive a righteous man's reward. In other words, we are going to share in his reward God's going to reward him for his faithfulness to Christ. We are going to share in that reward just by receiving him as a righteous man. That's a pretty good deal. You see why we want to invite people that are going to receive a big blessing from the Lord? Because we share in the blessing that they're going to get. And it's not like God takes from them and gives to us. He's got plenty. He sees that there's a duplicate in their life. That's what he says. It's the household of faith. You see a person who is given of themselves repeatedly for the Lord. You bless especially them because you will share then in the blessing that they are going to get. That's exactly what it says. Whoever, he says now, in the name of the a disciple, gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink. Truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. If you take a person who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, even to one of these little ones, doesn't have to be, you know, some prophet, some great righteous man, even one of these little ones, you give them a cup of cold water, you won't lose your reward. Do you realize how much we have been blessed by having you to our home? We have been greatly blessed. And I do think about this. I think about this as people are eating and I think and I'll say to my, myself as I'm talking to the Lord, I say, Lord, I remember your word said if we give them just a cup of cool water, how much more for a meal? How much more for a meal? That's exactly what it says. 
if you give one of these little ones just a cup of cool water, and so I have gone to the home of believers, and sometimes they don't even offer me a glass of water. And you know what's going through my mind? You don't realize what you just missed. You don't realize what you just missed by not even give, offering me a cup of cool water. And, and you say, that's kind of selfish. It's not selfish at all. I just think of what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures are extremely precise. It is not just a bunch of happenstance that's blurted out on a page. He says, if you give to one of these little ones a cup of cold water to drink, truly, this means for sure, truly, I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. When somebody comes to your home, be gracious. Offer them something to eat. Make them a pot of tea and put some things in front of them. You won't lose your reward. Even when I was in graduate school, before I was married, I would, I would uh, I'd always have a box of chocolate and I'd have hot chocolate in my room and guys would come to the room. I'd always offer them something because of this verse. Because I saw what this verse says. I always had something to offer them when they would come into my, home, into, into my, my uh, dorm room in, in the graduate dormitory. Always. So it's not like I had to have a kitchen to do this. No, I could have a box of chocolates there and, and, and I could share with them. This is what I wanted to do. This is the heart that He gives us. Whatever your heart is, He's going to strengthen that. Whatever your heart is, He will strengthen that. Okay, let's turn back to, uh, to Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11. And then it says in verse 21... Then Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. There were no Anakim left in the city, left in the land of the sons of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. Some remained. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Thus the land had rest from war. Again, this is looking ahead. This is like an abstract because we're going to see in Joshua 13 there's still a lot of land to take. So this is looking ahead. But he says, he, he says to them, he says that, that, and Joshua gave it to them for an inheritance to Israel according to the divisions of their tribes. This is the first example where you, talk, where you see this inheritance. Inheritance. It's going to be used 43 times in the book of Joshua. Inheritance. In, in other words, God gave them an inheritance. You don't look at somebody and say, wow, you're awesome. You got an inheritance. No, that was just dumped on you. I mean, you don't... You know, inheritance are dumped on us. That's what God did. God gave this to them as an inheritance. We had talked about the Anakim previously. And, and I want to look at two verses again about the, the Anakim so we remember about this. If you turn to Numbers, Numbers, so before Joshua, a few books before Joshua is the book of Numbers. And you'll see Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Um, and we're going to read verse 33. Numbers 13, 33. It says, There also we saw the Nephilim, 
the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Remember, there were no Nephilim when they came into the land. God had destroyed the, all, those, all the Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6. These people are lying. They have extrapolated into their own minds that these are Nephilim. The Nephilim were this, this, this mixture of, of de- demons that had, had, uh, had sex with human women, and there was the, these huge offspring with magical powers. God destroyed them in Genesis chapter 6. But the sons of Anak looked like Nephilim because they were so big. Who were the sons of Anak? Anak, remember Goliath? Goliath was nine and a half feet tall. So these were extremely large men. And it says they wiped them all out except in this territory over here in Gaza, Ashdod. This is where Goliath came from, this part. There were, so the only ones that existed into the days of David, and in the days of David they were totally destroyed, some by David, some by his mighty men. But, but these were the sons of Enoch, unusually large men. And look, at, look again in Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9, you see the same sort of thing. Uh, we're going to start reading from verse 1. Deuteronomy 9.1 Hear, O Israel, you are crossing over the Jordan today to go in and dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. God is conceding through Moses that the nations that you're about to attack when you cross into this land, they are greater and mightier than you. God is saying that. They are greater. If you look at them in the flesh, they are greater and mightier than you. Great cities fortified to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of, uh, the sons of Anakim, uh, Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? In other words, this was indeed even spoken as a word of truth by Moses, that these folks are so tall, so great and so tall. So we're not talking about guys who are six feet or six and a half feet tall. We're talking about unusually large people that were in eight, nine feet region, huge men. And he says, you look at them, they're great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and of whom you've heard, who can stand before those men? They're huge. So turn back to Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11. And, And let's look what it says about them. I mean, it just just passes right over them in verse 21. Joshua came at that time and came off and cut off Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. There were no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel, only in Gaza and Gash, Gash and Ashdod. Some remained. In other words, you have these huge giants. They became utterly cut off by Israel. It was no problem for them. When they came in with the help of the Lord, they came into Israel. This thing in their mind that was going to be the biggest object in the battles, totally cut off. You never see anything unusual about the fight with the sons of Anak. It wasn't like, well, you know, it took... A thousand Israelites to kill that one son of Anak. Nothing. It's just gone. Poof. We have things in our own lives that challenge us. Things that stand before us and wonder, how are we going to deal with this? 
How are we going to be able to be confronted with this thing? How can we deal with this? The Scriptures tell us when we walk with Him, He grants us an inheritance. Go in and take that land. And for some reason, there was nothing special with, this, with, with these great big men. They didn't stand. And remember, Jews generally are, are, have little DNA. They're little people physically. But look what God did through them. Look what God did. These giants of the land. There are things in your own life things that will stand before you, challenges that you'll be hit with. You think, how can I do this? You get before the Lord. This is how you can do this. You have this research project. You have this business you're starting. You have this, this, this uh, work you're confronted with. Lord, how can I do it? I was a graduate student, not much older than, than, than some of you and about the same age as some of you, and I was working on a natural product synthesis. And then I heard that the group of Leo Paquette at Ohio State was working on the same synthesis. And Leo Paquette's group was a powerhouse synthetic organic group. And I was like, uh-oh. And so we're working on the same synthesis via the same intermediate. So what would this do to my work? You know, I'm working on this toward my PhD. And, he's, and so I go to prayer. And I'm praying, Lord, <laughs> I pray I don't get scooped. You know? Lord. And, and, and so, so Leo Paquette, becomes the sons of Anak for me. And I'm praying. And I'm crying out to God. Well, we beat out Leo Paquette's group. I'm telling you there are things that you are going to confront in your life that to other people they may not be big. But for you, it's huge. You'll be put on a project and you think, they think I know about this. I don't know anything. I just got out of school. Yeah, they, I got, got my mechanical engineering degree, but I really don't know how to do anything. That's not real. I just solve problems in a, in a textbook. It's not real. How, how, do I, how do I run this project? Have you ever felt like that? And this is what's going to happen to you. You get before the Lord and you cry out to God. And you say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And then watch the Lord help you. Watch what He does in, in your life. Watch what's before you. You'll be... You know, you'll be in, in medical school and you'll find yourself in an emergency room in this case and it's like, oh, this is real blood. This is real something I've got, I got to deal with here. You cry out to God even in that moment. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. There's a psalm and it starts out, Lord, help me. It is a beautiful psalm and I love that psalm. And I just remember, Lord, help me. Because immediately you're speaking to the one to whom you... You're crying out to the one to, to whom can help. The one that can help you. Lord, help. That means I'm in trouble. Me. And then you just cry out, Lord, help me. Who are the sons of Anak in your life? What are the things that confront you? What are the things that are before you? You cry out to the Lord. Are you in a marriage that is hard and you wonder, is this thing ever going to work out? This is the sons of Anak before you. You cry out to the Lord for help. And He can help you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You so much for these young people. And Lord, I pray Your blessing to be upon them. That You would strengthen their hearts with whatever they give out according to Your Word. And Father, I pray that they would be quick to give out mercy lest they receive mercilessness in their lives. Father, that they would be quick to give out pardoning and forgiveness Father, that they would learn to be gracious and especially toward those of the household of faith 
so that many good things would be showered upon their lives, I pray. And Lord, I pray that the blessings of God would fall on them as they shower things out. And Father, for whatever those sons of Anak are who are before them, Lord, I pray that they would commit this to you and see great success in their lives. Great success in their lives. And Lord, I put them before you. And Father, for those here who do not know you, draw them to Jesus, I pray. Save their souls for the glory of God. Amen.